Good morning, brothers and sisters. Happy Father's Day to those of you who are fathers. Some of you have become fathers this year. It's a new beginning for you. Praise the Lord for that. I, I'm united with the men and pastors who prayed before me. We fathers need a lot of grace. It's such a high responsibility. We were just talking with Tim before. We celebrate mothers. But on Father's Day, we kind of take it as a burden. <laughs> like, oh, there's such a high responsibility that I have to carry. But the Lord is good. He's faithful to us, and he continues to work through us. Please pray with me before we look into our text and see what the Lord has for us prepared. Father, we come to you seeking to know you. We want to fear you. We want to honor you in all the ways that you prescribe to us. Your word is glorious, and sometimes we do not fully understand it, but Lord, we pray that your spirit would illumine our minds and we would be able to accept it for what it is, understand it, what you mean by it, and how to apply it to our lives. Father, we as your loving children come to you and we need your help. Give us grace and give me grace to present the text to your church. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. Some of you may have noticed a pattern that over the past several decades, there has been a lot of talk about higher education. The value of college has been tested more and more, and um, many have become quite disappointed in that. The cost of the college has been over $100,000, sometimes over $200,000. And people question whether the training and the education and skills that it instills in people, if it's truly valuable, if it's worth it. They sometimes go to a different route. They try to look for other ways to learn on their own, to get a vocational, go to vocational school, learn some skills, start a business, and go that route. And sometimes, at the end of four years, a lot of people have become disappointed. Some have suffered a shipwreck in their faith with uh, faculty teaching and indoctrinating false values and godless worldview. They may be affected in that way. And I'm not trying to talk anyone out of college, by the way. But even though it's still a very important path for many young, young ladies and men, and it has to be approached with wisdom. But what I'm trying to say is the world has many different methods of teaching you the truths, skills, give you education, knowledge, and in many ways, the world fails. The good thing is that the Father, our Father, has prepared a, a way to learn, a way to gain knowledge and gain understanding, gain wisdom, and he provided it so well on the pages of Scripture that we can come to his word and we can learn and we can trust it and we know that it is effective in our knowledge and wisdom. Today I want to take you to the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, and as it was mentioned before, I'll take you to chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. This is going to be our passage. But before we get there, I want to take you quickly through a path how we got to chapter 3 to help you understand the context of what is going on here. The first six verses of the book focuses specifically on the purpose. You can read with me in chapter one of Proverbs, verse one. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. And what's the purpose? To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. That's the purpose of that. He continues to say, and he addresses who it is primarily directed towards. And you can see in verse four, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. Primarily directed to the youth, to those who are naive, simple-minded, who have not set their path on any way. But also to a wise man, because in verse five it says, a wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. So those of you who think that you have reached the wisdom of an old man, look, there is still opportunity for you to increase in that knowledge and to get greater understanding of things of God. 
In verse 7, we see what we call a motto. You can see that it says, the foundation behind the wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So you can't build any kind of wisdom if you have not laid the foundation of you revering and respecting and honoring God. So that's the introduction. And as the Proverbs and any books of wisdom, you have a wise man or a father speaking to others who wish to be wise. In this case, you have a father speaking to his son, Solomon speaking to his son, and sometimes he calls them sons in plural, and he addresses them specifically. And over the chapters, you can see a progression of the spiritual condition of the son, you can say. He begins in verse 8, and he addresses a son who is naive, young, simple, who has not set his mind and his heart in any specific way. Look at with me in verse 8 of chapter 1. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and an ornament about your neck. He says, son, what I'm going to tell you, it's extremely important. It is so valuable to you that it's going to adorn you. It's going to make you beautiful in your ways. At the same time, my son, there's another group of people, sinners, who will try to entice you and grab you and lead you to on the wrong path. They will use theft and burglary and they will use murder in order to get what they want and you gotta watch out for that. that that's what he follows. At the same time, on the other hand, I'm giving you wisdom. I'm giving you the right path. I'm giving you teaching direction, instruction that you ought to follow. So there's continued invitation until the chapter two begins. And chapter two begins with direct invitation to make a call. Look with me in chapter two, verse one. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments, the wisdom that is readily available to you, and if you accept it, if you search it, you will find what? You will find that the Lord, you will find, verse five, that you will discern the fear of the Lord, and then you will discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. Once you find the fear, once you understand the personal relationship with God, you will be filled with the wisdom that the Father continues to give you. And he again talks about the benefits and then the pitfalls of the wisdom versus the path of the sinners. And it comes to chapter three. And in chapter three, there's a little bit of a shift of tone. You can see that the son now, from what we see, it's now he has made up his mind, more or less. He decided, he has put his heart forward, and he said, I'm committing myself to the walk of the righteous. I have committed to walk in the direction of my father, the way he leads me. And this is where we pick up. And in this passage that we will see that the father continues to teach him and instruct to him and saying, son, I'm gonna teach you how this wisdom continues to grow. And what this wisdom and the ways that it manifests itself, I will teach you in that. So let's read our passage, chapter three, verses one through 12, and we will dive into our text. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good, re and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your health, from your wealth, and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not neglect the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the love, Lord loves, he reproves. 
even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. If you want to walk away with the main point today, I'd like to express it this way. God-given wisdom that is rooted in the fear and knowledge of God will be expressed in submission to God, devotion to Him, and reflection of His character. If you grow in the wisdom of God that is rooted in the fear of God, rooted in the knowledge of Him, it will submit, it will be reflected in the way you submit to God, you devote to Him, and reflect His character. So take a look with me in some of these manifestations. So I'm going to present to you four manifestations, and you may find it in the bulletin, the outline of the sermon. But it presents to us four manifestations of wisdom that every God-fearing person will grow in. Do you want to grow in the wisdom? This is the way you're going to manifest that wisdom. Number one, it keeps God's word. Take a look with me in verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. First of all, this word teaching, it's the same word that we know of as Torah, which is the law sometimes can be translated. But here the meaning is, it is my instruction and my direction, what the Father says. And it's interesting, you may ask, well, Is he talking about his own instruction or is he talking about God's instruction? Who is or what is the ultimate source of this father's instruction? Because you can see it, here's the pattern. Chapter one, verse eight, hear my son, your father's instruction, right? Chapter two, verse one, my son, if you receive my words, my commandments, my teaching, he goes on in chapter five, verse one, it says my wisdom. Father, is this your wisdom? Is this your natural, earthly, human wisdom? Or are you referring to something else? In fact, in chapter 4, he begins by saying, My son, I was a young kid like you, and at one point, my father has instilled the wisdom of his own into me, and it has become my wisdom. But yet, if you pay attention carefully... To these passages, you will see that the wisdom and the knowledge and the instruction that he gives, it belongs to the Lord. We already read that. For example, he equates it, he says, my words in 2.1 and then in 2.2, make your ear attentive to wisdom, period. It's the wisdom of God. And then when he says, comes to chapter 2, verse 6, it says, Lord gives wisdom. So it's not a human wisdom. It's not a culturally defined wisdom of today. And 10 years ago, 20 years ago, it was a different wisdom. It is wisdom of God that has been given supernaturally to people and those who embrace it and those who grow in it, they grow out of knowing God and out of relationship with God. It's a great application for you fathers because you can speak to your sons. And you can say, son, this is my wisdom. In fact, I hope when you say my wisdom, you are not passing on the wisdom that your parents perhaps passed on to you alone. That wisdom to be grounded in the word of God. And when you pass it on, it's not just someone else's wisdom. You are the one who loves it, embraces it, lives it out, and passing it on to your children. Here we see a risk of forgetting. He says, do not forget my teaching. And we understand that forgetting, it's not this mental exercise of memory. Oh, you forgot. Remember that verse in the Bible? It is not that. It's connected to a life of obedience. In fact, it's a call to keep means to obey what my teaching is, to obey the word of God. We note that this obedience, it begins with the heart. It says, but let your heart keep my commandments. And Charles Bridges said this, our goal in obedience is not mere outward conformity to God's will, but a heart that loves and obeys him. The heart is the first thing that wanders away from God, and it's also the first thing that returns to God. If we understand the heart and what it represents, it represents your inner self. It represents your mind, your intentions, your desires, your will, volition, 
That's what drives you. So when you keep it in your heart, it doesn't mean that you externally practice some things of religion. It means you are it. You are so enticed with the word, so tied and so wrapped with the word of God that it just naturally flows out of you. That's the way you keep it because it's in your heart. Solomon, the teacher, the father, he himself has forgotten the ways of the Lord. If you remember, in 1 Kings we read, now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart has turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him regarding this thing that he was not to follow other gods, but he did not comply with what the Lord had commanded. So the Lord said to Solomon, since you have done this and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded, I will certainly tear the kingdom away from you and I will give it to your servant. Solomon has forgotten. It began with many women. Many women had many gods. They brought those gods into his kingdom. He was giving, giving them gifts. And next thing you know, he began to worship other gods. And that was just despicable in the eyes of the Lord. I want to take you to also another very important aspect of this. Wisdom, when it's presented in the book of Proverbs, Sometimes it is personified as this, as this wise woman who calls to the naive and says, come, come. And this wisdom um, is this kind woman who says, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to take you to the right path and I'm going to give you life. If you look with me in Proverbs chapter 8, just flip a few pages forward, there is this poem where this wisdom speaks. In chapter 8, verse 22, it says this, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way before his works of old. Meaning, I, wisdom, the Lord God possessed me. He had me before he created anything else. Verse 27, When he established the heavens, I was there. When he encircled a circle on the face of the deep, when he created everything else, I was there. Verse 30, then I was beside him as a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. If you look at verse 35, it says, for he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Now this is the Old Testament. Old Testament, where people sought wisdom of Yahweh. In the New Testament, with the completion of Revelation, there is a word, right? Here you have teaching and training and a direction and instruction, and if you follow it, if you embrace that, you live out in the wise way. In the word, we have the word who was with God, and the word was God, and then the word became flesh. And the word dwelled among us, if you read in John chapter 1. That word is the incarnate Jesus Christ. And if we look further, just like Pastor Jan read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 24, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, we read that the true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It is a very huge lesson for us. When we look at the Old Testament or we look at the Proverbs, when we look at these sayings, the little, little short sayings, and we say, well, if I just read them, I'm going to gain this knowledge and I'm going to gain this wisdom. Well, not so fast, because this wisdom, it doesn't come with a bunch of Po poems. It comes through the fear of the Lord and knowledge of Yahweh, but the New Testament shows us that it's through the personal knowledge of Jesus Christ and relationship with Him that this wisdom is learned and grows. So that's just a little side note to us. So the Son received the Father's word, made up his mind to fear God, and here is a command for him to keep it in his heart. Now, there is, if you go back to chapter 3, there is a reward in this. 
For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. When we talk about life, and when the book of Proverbs talks about life, it doesn't talk about life on a life support. Okay, that's not the life that it has in mind. When it talks about life and long life, it talks about the quality and the length of the quality of life. It is a life that is, first of all, it is a blessed life and focuses on the life that is morally and spiritually healthy. It is rooted in the fellowship with God. The life that is full of material and social blessing, flourishing. It is a life where you have a family that's harmonious. It's a life where your husband respects the wife and loves his wife. Wife respects the husband. That's what Proverbs are about. It's a life where the children honor their parents. Life that is filled with personal wisdom and discretion in different life situations. There's a reward. If you keep the word, you will have this long and blessed life. Along the same lines, there is the word peace. And when we talk about peace in today's modern language, we talk about this relational status between parties. Or we talk about this protection from the enemies, from suppression. But when the Bible talks about the Old Testament about peace, this is the word shalom that can be sometimes translated as wholesomeness. Meaning that when you keep the word, your life is going to be wholesome. It is healthy in every way, spiritual, mental, physical, material ways. That's what shalom is. So there's a great reward if you keep the word of God. That is number one. A Christian growing in wisdom keeps the word. Leads us to number two. A Christian who grows in wisdom, he values love and truth. He values love and truth. Now, you may see on your pages that verse 3, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And this word kindness, it's a word that is translated elsewhere as loving kindness. It's a loyal love. It's a, this persistent, unfailing love of God that's oftentimes described in the Bible. When he is committed to love you, he will love you. And he's, it says that you do not let, my son, let kindness and truth leave you, but bind them around your neck. This next section, I believe it answers two questions. The first question is why? When you come to the word of God, you teach your children the word of God, you teach them, you give them rules, your natural question is why? You know, when you teach your kids and you tell them, child, son, daughter, you know, you got to bathe yourself regularly. You got to brush your teeth. You got to read. You got to do your homework. You got to finish this. You got to eat this particular food. What's the natural response? But dad, why? Mom, why? I don't want to eat this food. I just want to eat ice cream and chips and soda, right? They don't understand. What's your answer for that? Your answer is not, hopefully, because I said so. Your answer, hopefully, is because I know what the truth is and because I love you. I'm giving you these truths. I'm giving you these instructions, these commandments, so to speak, so that you would understand that I love you. It's out of my love that I do that. In the same way, when we ask the question, why, Lord? Why do we need to follow these commands? The answer is because the Father loves us. It is his giving of the law. It is giving of his commands is one of his manifestations of his love to us. He gives us the truth. You believe in him that he gives you the truth and he loves you and therefore you are to follow it. Another reason why I think question it answers in this passage is well, what does this keeping of the law or keeping of your commandments, Father, looks like? Well, it looks like love and truth. As you love and embrace the love and kindness and truth of the Father, you are going to be working out the same. It will be natural coming out of you because you embrace it and you value it so much. 
Take a look with me in verse three. It says, bind them around your neck. What does that mean, binding around your neck? What do you bind around your neck? When you have someone dear to you, you might put a picture of that person in the pendant and you put it on your chest, right, around your neck. When you want to speak of your wealth, you might put a nice chain around your neck. Right? That's what people do. In the same way here, we're commanded, or the son is commanded to value love of God and the truth of God so much that he is boasting in it. He's valuing it. He is proud of it. He puts it out on the outside for people to see. It's a public, public admission that I truly love God and his love and truth. And out of that, as I said, it works out and it begins to work out in your personal life. It says, write it on the tablet of your heart. It's not something that I just put out. It's on the heart. If the heart is the center of your desires, passions, thoughts, emotions, and will, then this is what should occupy your heart, kindness and truth, which drives you to do what you do. In Proverbs 19, verse 22, it says this, what is desirable in a man is his kindness, and it is better to be a poor man than a liar. Pointing out those two things. Kindness is the same word, loyal love. And what is better is for you to even be a poor man, but to be a truthful man, to someone who loves the truth. When we read the epistle of John, 1 John, those are the two things that John keeps going back to. That is love and truth. It comes from the knowledge of him. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Then he focuses on the love. He says, the one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling. Those truth and love, we see that in the Old Testament and the New Testament, those are the fundamentals. Integrity that manifests itself in all interactions with God and with people. And if you do so, there is a reward. Take a look at me in verse four. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God. And man, you will find favor. It's like grace. You're going to give grace. You're going to receive grace from God. If you value it so much and you live it out in your life, you will receive grace from God and good repute. The term means understanding. Good understanding from God and other people. Same thing was spoken of Samuel. Samuel was growing like a little child and he was faithful to the Lord. And it says, now the boy Samuel was growing in stature and in favor both with the Lord and with men. When speaking of Jesus, Luke was writing the same. Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with, good, with God and men. So, so far we have this, the wisdom from above, it manifests in keeping God's word. Number two, the wisdom from above manifests in valuing God's love and truth. He answers the question, why, Father? Or, and what does it look like? It takes us to section number three, or manifestation number three. The wisdom from above manifests in devotion to God's ways. This answers the question, how? You got instruction. You need to keep the, the law. You need to give the word of God. You need to work that out. How does it work out? It works out when you love others. You love God in truth, and you love others in truth, and you are very proud of it. How do you do that? Father says, I'm going to give you a, a way of God. And you can break that passage from verses five through 10 into with four words. Lean, know, fear, and honor. Lean, know, fear, and honor. 
Take a look with me in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. The man or woman growing in wisdom trusts God in his heart. It takes humility to trust someone, right? You must acknowledge that there is something that you don't know, something that you may be well wrong about it, and therefore you need to humble yourself in order to accept what the Lord has provided for you. When you go to a car mechanic, it takes some humility to say, I don't understand what's going on under my hood, so I'm gonna go to the car mechanic and I'm gonna trust him and he will take care of that. When you're sick and when you need to go to the doctors, you, there's a humility has to be there to say, well, everything that I read on Google, Dr. Google, right, might not be right. I made, might totally miss the, uh, my, my diagnosis. Therefore, you humble yourself and you come to the doctor, you say, I don't know all things. How about you tell me what to do and I will follow. It takes humility. In the same way, trusting the Lord with all your heart, with everything that you are, with your mind, your soul, and your will, requires recognition that your own understanding in and of itself can be wrong. And a lot of times it is wrong. And what he says, though, it's absolutely true. You see, when you lean, when you put your weight on it, you understand that what he says is absolute truth. Leaning on God is not like putting your money in the stock market and you're just hoping that it's going to go up, right? That's not leaning. Leaning is when sometimes it doesn't make sense, but you read it in the scripture, you see what the Lord wants, and you see what his desire and his intention is, and you say, it doesn't make much sense, but I trust him, and I'm going to put all of my eggs in one basket before the Lord, and he will lead me. That's what leaning is. With every decision, every step in life, every response to a circumstance, there is reliance upon God and what he says because you believe it. Therefore, you lean upon it. There's an understanding that what God has said is the truth. And God loves you so much. He's so devoted to you. He has that loyal love to you that he's worth leaning upon. Sometimes we act like Teenagers, nothing about teenagers, but they're great. But they're at the age and stage in life where they begin to understand things. And this early stage of life, they think they understand everything. They understand the way things work. And they say, well, Father, I know better than you are. Mom, I know better than you are. And that's natural. This is where... They have the spirit of life where they have to humble themselves. And yet we all act a lot of times in front of before God like teenagers, you can say. You know, Mark Twain once said this. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in just seven years. We act the same way. We Sometimes without disbelief, not being able to trust the Lord, we go out after our own understanding. We so highly think of our own ways and our own knowledge. And the Lord said, don't do it. Don't do it. Trust in me. Look at verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. We're so wise inside. And we forget that our natural wisdom, it is not good. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. And a lot of times we can't even see it that our heart, that it, our heart is sick. But I, the Lord says, search the heart and test the mind even to give to each man according to his ways. Unless we submit to the Lord and we align our heart understanding to God's ways and his instruction and his teaching, we're confused. We can't even see half the stuff. And here's the call to rely on him, lean on him, and trust him. Now, where does this trust come from? And this takes us to the second 
part, which is the second word is no. No. Look with me in verse 6. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. In all your ways acknowledge him. This acknowledging, it's simply word no. Know him. And this acknowledging, sometimes we think of it as, you know, when I'm making big decisions in my life, when I'm buying a car, buying a house, choosing a career, choosing a wife, then I have to kind of recognize, well, what does the Lord want me to do? I don't believe that this is what's talking about. It's talking about this intimate knowledge of God where you're always, always in constant intimate relationship with him and that drives your thinking. That drives your decision making, your dreams, your desires, your intentions behind everything, your words. When you say something, when you answer someone, that's where you constantly say, well now, the Lord is not pleased in that. Lord, forgive me because you know him. There is this constant acknowledging of him, not just, but for big events. Again, our knowledge of God comes from the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you remember when Philip says, Jesus, can you just show us the Father? What did he say? He says, have you been so long with me? Have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me? Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And this is where we go and we study the life of Jesus Christ, his words, his decisions, his way of life, and we learn from him. We get to know him more intimately. So deep and intimate knowledge of God ought to lead you in every word, every desire, your every moment-by-moment moment attitude, intention of your heart, your plans, your dreams, everything dictated by your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. There's a reward and says, and he will make your paths straight. He will make your paths straight. You may say, what is this? What does that mean? To understand this, these words, you have to think of the Old Testament roads. If you needed to travel through roads, the roads were not as highways as smooth as they are now in the modern days. The roads were very dangerous. There were many obstacles. There were many, there were narrow. There were rocks all over the place. There were dips and holes. And for you to travel, it was a big deal. When the king, for example, would travel, there would be people coming in front of the caravan, ahead of the caravan, and they would do all the cleanup. They would fill the pots. They would, they would take away all the debris from the way. They would make sure that the road for the king would be as smooth as possible. This is where John the Baptist was crying out, right? What, he, what was he saying? He was saying, let uh, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. He was saying, Jesus is coming right after me. Prepare your hearts. Clean out the nastiness in your heart. Make his way and make his function and what he's about to do, make it smooth for him. Make it more effective. And this is what the passage speaks about when it says God is going to make your way smooth. He's not just going to take your troubles away. He's not going to change your circumstances in a way that um, it's just going to be a smooth way. You're not going to have any problems. You're not going to have any difficulties in life. But he's going to make it where you're above your circumstances. When you trust him, you know him, when you acknowledge him, you're not going to have these bumps of disbelief and distrust all the time. You're going to be truly going smoothly and fast toward your destination. Destination of being like Christ, his son. Because that's where we're going. This leads us to the next word, which is fear. Verse 7, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And again, it's coming from knowledge. Those people who you know well, those people who you trust, you revere before them, you honor them, you don't want to hurt them, you don't want to do evil to them. It comes from that knowledge, it comes with that trust. And it says, it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. What is this speaking of? 
It's a health. It is your physical health to a degree depends on how you walk before God. If you honor him, if you love him, if you trust him, if you know him, he will bless you health-wise. It says healing to your body, meaning navel, which is your belly button, referring to the entire body, and refreshment to your bones, even your inner health, inner self. There is this reward of you having good health for those who walk before him in love and trust. Now, I'll talk a little bit about the promise versus probability in just a little bit, but let's go a little bit further to our last component of trusting and loving and and following in um, his ways, which is the last one is honor. Look at verse nine of chapter three. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. Honor is our last word, and it says that Christian growing in wisdom honors the Lord from the wealth. And there are two reasons why he does that. He does that out of gratitude to the Lord. And he does that because of the confidence that the Lord is going to bless him despite him giving away the goods. You don't put your confidence in this wealth. You, can't, you put confidence in the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says this. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not to grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. You can check your heart and you can see whether you put your money where your mouth is. You can speak where your, um, what you love will be reflected in how you give and how you help and how you sacrifice. It doesn't just involve your money. It involves everything. It involves your possessions, how you share things, how you open up your home, how you give, how you feed. It speaks of whether you trust the Lord and whether you are grateful to him. You can test the quality of your giving. Is it from the first fruits? When you worked so hard to get this first fruit out of your field, and you give it to the Lord, or you're kind of giving him the leftovers. Well, I've kind of ate and enjoyed everything. Here's what's left over. Here you go. You know, you can test the way you give to goodwill. Well, I give. You give the, the purpose of you giving to the goodwill so you could buy some new stuff, so you, <laughs> you may make yourself feel better. But the reward is there, and it says that you... So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. There is a reward for giving and for honoring him with giving, which is you will receive an abundance. You will receive an abundance. Your barns speaking about the grain. Your vats speaking about the wine. If you think about the vats, this is not barrels of wine. It's talking about this harvesting place of wine where you put a bunch of grapes in the upper container and there are holes and it's oozing the juice of grape juice into the lower container. It says that when you give to the Lord, the Lord is going to bless you so much that your lower container containing all the wine and the the grape juice is just going to burst. It's going to be so overfilled. In Luke chapter 6, 38, we say this, we see this, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. This is what naturally, this is what normally God, how he blesses those who who give. Well, you may say, Mike, are you speaking to us about this health, wealth, and prosperity gospel? (laughs) Because that's what... It is, you can hear about it, which is a false gospel, and the answer is no. You can't look at Proverbs as of health, wealth, and prosperity as promises. You look at them as probabilities. This is what naturally takes place. 
in the lives of those who love God, who practice wisdom. When they honor the Lord, this is what they get normally, naturally. It doesn't mean that there are no sick young people who love the Lord and they're dying. That doesn't mean that. But naturally, there's a course that they are healthy. It doesn't mean that you have someone who loves the Lord and yet he's poor or someone who is persecuted. Look at the lives of the apostles. They were poor and persecuted for the name of Christ. And the reason why we understand it, because we look at the whole Bible as a whole. We look even at the book of Proverbs as a whole. Solomon understood that. We just read 19.22, what is desirable in a man is kindness, and it is better to be a poor man than a liar. So it is possible to love the truth and yet be poor. It is possible. In 4.17, it says, for they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence, speaking of the evil people. So it is possible. There are instances where someone is wicked, a thief, and yet he's enjoying the abundance and health obtained to violence. It is possible. But naturally, that is not the course. In Psalm 73, we know the passage where Asaph got envied. He began to envy the evildoers. And he says, how is it possible that I'm looking at these people and they're just flourishing and this, I am chastising myself trying to live according to God's law until the Lord opens up the curtains and he says, take a look at their end. And then he says, I was a fool not to trust the Lord. I was a fool to do that. So that is the natural way how the Lord blesses to those who love him, who trust him, who give an honor to him. This is what he does. We come to the last manifestation of the wisdom, which is in verse 11 and 12. It is concluding one, and it answers the question, well, Lord, or Father, what if I fail? You give me this instruction. You tell me to love the, the word of God, to keep it. You tell me why. You tell me how I am to do it. What if I fail? In verse 11, it says this. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. If you're a believer who lives on the surface of this earth in your body, you will sin and you will fail. It's a guarantee. And we do that, in fact, every day. And sometimes the Lord takes us to ways where he gives us a little spanking. And he does that not because to punish us, to make us pay for that. He does that as a loving father who wants to correct us and he wants to set on the right path. Hebrews chapter 12, quoting this passage, it speaks to us. If you open your Bibles there, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 6, they quote, the author quotes this passage and it says this, it is for discipline that you endure. You Hebrews, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we have had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time and seemed best to them, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. Verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. Oh, it hurts. But sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. A son who's growing in wisdom, he accepts the spanking, the discipline of the Lord, and he does so and learns from that. He's not like a son who constantly gives a father a cold shoulder. I don't want to receive that spanking. You know, I'm mad at you. I'm angry at you. He's a son who says, recognizes, repents, and says, yeah, I was wrong. 
Thank you, Father. I trust that you love me, and that's why you discipline me in order to produce righteousness in me, in order to produce in me what your son looks like. So that is the final call. It speaks of that love. So that person who accepts the discipline, he truly experiences the love of God for him. I want to take you as a conclusion to a couple passages. In Proverbs 24, verse 16, says this, For a righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in time of calamity. Those of you who have given your life to Christ, who have come to know him, and who live in growing in the wisdom of God, you will fall. We all fall. We stumble. The Lord makes our way smooth when we obey, but sometimes we fall. But God, loving Father, allows us to get up. And you may fall seven times, and the Lord, because he loves you, and he just has this faithfulness and care for you, he allows you to stand up. He lifts you up and allows you to go. Another verse in Proverbs 4.18 says, But the path of the righteous is not like a light of dawn. When it's dark, and then there's this light of dawn in the early morning that comes up, and it shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The author of Proverbs, Solomon, he understood that this life, with God's help and growing in wisdom and knowledge of him, it will continue to get brighter. The person continues to grow in that wisdom. It gets brighter, brighter, until it comes to the state of eternity where it becomes a full day, light day. So, as a reminder, the wisdom from above is grounded in the fear and knowledge of the Lord. Those who love God, they will keep the word. Those who grow in wisdom, they will value God's love and truth. They will devote themselves to God's ways. And by trusting him, by knowing him, by fearing and honoring him, they will honor him and they will accept his discipline when they're wrong. May the Lord bless you, both fathers and mothers, children and teenagers and old older people, for the Lord to bless you in this pursuit of Christ. Please pray with me. Our Lord, Father, we want to thank you again and again for who you are. We're thrilled with your love and kindness. We put it around our necks. We publicly proclaim what you have done for us. And it is the love of Christ that pursues us. It moves us to do what you call us to do, to obey you, to walk with you. And we know you, not because we're so smart, but because you have come to know us first. You found us in this world, you revealed yourself to us, and we praise you. We wanna be faithful to you, and we wanna walk, and we wanna grow in the wisdom from above. Bless us, Father, we depend on you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.